Part Two, Chapter Eight of the History of the Devil. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rick Vina. The History of the Devil by Daniel Defoe. Part Two, Chapter Eight. Of the Cloven Foot Walking About the World Without the Devil. Namely, of Witches Making Bargains for the Devil, and particularly of Selling the Soul to the Devil. I have dwelt long upon the devil in mask, as he goes about the world incognito, and especially without his cloven foot, and have touched upon some of his disguises in the management of his interest in the world. I must say some of his disguises only, for who can give a full account of all his tricks and arts, in so narrow a compass as I am prescribed to? But as I said, that every devil has not a cloven foot, so I must add now, for the present purpose, that every cloven foot is not the devil. Not but that wherever I should meet the cloven hoof, I should expect that the devil was not far off, and should be apt to raise the posse against him, to apprehend him. Yet it may happen otherwise, that's certain. Every coin has its counterfeit, every art its pretender, every whore her admirer, every error its patron, and every day has its devil. I have had some thought of making a full and complete discovery here of that great doubt which has so long puzzled the world, namely, whether there is any such thing as secret making bargains with the devil. And the first positive assurance I can give you in the case is that if there is not, tis not his fault. Tis not for want of his endeavor. Tis plain, if you will pardon me for taking so mean a step, as that of quoting scripture, I say, tis evident he would fain have made a contract with our Savior and he bid boldly give him his due, namely, all the kingdoms of the world for one bend of his knee, impudent seraph, to think thy lord should pay thee homage. How many would agree with him here for a less price? They say Oliver Cromwell struck a bargain with him, and that he gave Oliver the protectorship, but would not let him call himself king, which stuck so close to that furioso that the mortification spread into his soul, and tis said he died of a gangrene in the spleen. But take notice and do Oliver justice. I do not vouch the story, neither does the bishop say one word of it. Fame must to say, that the old famous Duke of Luxembourg made a magic compact of this kind. Nay, I have heard many an old woman 
officer of the troops, who never cared to see his face, declare that he carried the devil at his back. I remember a certain author of a newspaper in London was once taken up, and they say it cost him fifty pounds for printing in his news that Luxembourg was humpbacked. Now if I have resolved the difficulty, namely, that he was not humped, only carried the devil at his back, I think the poor man should have his fifty pounds again, or I should have it for the discovery. I confess I do not well understand this compacting with such a fellow as can neither write nor read, nor do I know who is the scrivener between them, or how the indenture can be executed. But that which is worse than all the rest is, that in the first place the devil never keeps articles. He will contract, perhaps, and they say he is mighty forward to make conditions. But who shall bind him to the performance? And where is the penalty if he fails? If we agree with him, he will be apt enough to claim his bargain and demand payment, nay, perhaps before it is due. But who shall make him stand to his? Besides, he is a knave in his dealing, for he really promises what he cannot perform. Witness his impudent proposal to our Lord, mentioned above. All these kingdoms will I give thee. Lying spirit! Why, they were none of thine to give. No, not one of them. For the earth is the Lord's and the kingdoms thereof. Nor were they in his power any more than in his right. So, I have heard that some poor, dismal creatures have sold themselves to the devil for a sum of money, for so much cash, and yet even in that case, when the day of payment came, I never heard that he brought the money or paid the purchase, so that he is a scoundrel in his treaties, for you shall trust for your bargain, but not be able to get your money and yet for your part he comes for you to an hour, of which by itself. In a word, let me caution you all, when you trade with the devil, either get the price or quit the bargain. The devil is a cunning shaver. He will wriggle himself out of the performance on his side if possible, and yet expect you should be punctual on your side. They tell you of a poor fellow in Herefordshire that offered to sell his soul to him for a cow, and though the devil promised, and as they say, signed the writings, yet the poor countryman could never get the cow of him. But still, as he brought a cow to him, somebody or other came and challenged it, proving that it was lost or stolen from them so that the man got nothing but the name of a cow-stealer, and was at last carried to Hereford jail, and condemned to be hanged for stealing two cows, one after the other. The wicked fellow was then in the greatest distress imaginable. He summoned his devil to help him out, but he failed him, 
as the devil always will. He really had not stolen the cows, but they were found in his possession, and he could give no account how he came by them. At last he was driven to confess the truth, told the horrid bargain he had made, and how the devil often promised him a cow, but never gave him one, except that several times in the morning early he found a cow put into his yard, but it always proved to belong to some of his neighbors. Whether the man was hanged or no, the story does not relate, but this part is to my purpose, that they that make bargains with the devil ought to make him give security for the performance of covenants, and who the devil would get to be bound for him, I can't tell. They must look to that who make the bargain. Besides, if he had not had a mind to cheat or baffle the poor man, what need he have taken a cow so near home? If he had such and such powers as we talk of, and his fancy and fable furnish for him, could not he have carried a cow in the air upon a broomstick as well as an old woman? Could he not have stole a cow for him in Lincolnshire and set it down in Herefordshire and so have performed his bargain, saved his credit, and kept the poor man out of trouble? So that if the story is true, as I really believe it is, either it is not the devil that makes those bargains, or the devil has not such a power as we bestow on him, except on special occasions he gets a permit, and is bid go, as in the case of Job, the Gatoran hogs, and the like. We have another example of a man's selling himself to the devil that is very remarkable, and that is in the Bible too, and even in that I do not find what the devil did for him in payment of the purchase price. The person selling was Ahab, of whom the text says expressly, There was none like him, who did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord. 1 Kings 21, verse 20, and the 25, I think it might have been rendered, if not translated, in spite of the Lord, or in defiance of God. For certainly, that's the meaning of it. And now, allowing me to preach a little upon this text, my sermon shall be very short. Ahab sold himself. Who did he sell himself to? I answer that question by a question. Who would buy him? Who, as we say, would give anything for him? And the answer to that is plain also. You may judge of the purchaser by the work he was to do. He that buys a slave in the market buys him to work for him and to do such business as he has for him to do. Ahab was bought to work wickedness, and who would buy him for that but the devil? I think there's no room to doubt, but Ahab sold himself to the devil. The text is plain that he sold himself, 
and the work he was sold to do points out the master that bought him what price he agreed with the devil for that indeed the text is silent in so we may let it alone nor is it much to our purpose unless it be to inquire whether the devil stood to his bargain or not and whether he paid the money according to agreement or cheated him as he did the farmer at hereford this buying and selling between the devil and us is i must confess an odd kind of stock jobbing and indeed the devil may be said to sell the bear skin whatever he buys but the strangest part is when he comes to demand the transfer for as i hinted before whether he performs or no he expects his bargain to a tittle there is indeed some difficulty in resolving how and in what manner payment is made the stories we meet with in our chimney-corner histories and which are so many ways made use of to make the devil frightful to us in our airs for ever are generally so foolish and ridiculous as if true or not true they have nothing material in them are of no signification or else so impossible in their nature that they make no impression upon any body above twelve years old and under seventy or else are so tragical that antiquity has fabled them down to our taste though we might be able to hear them and repeat them with less horror than is due to them this variety has taken off our relish of the thing in general and made the trade of soul-selling like our late more eminent bubbles be taken to be a cheat and to have little in it however to speak a little more gravely to it i cannot say but that since by the two eminent instances of it above in ahab and in christ himself the fact is evidently ascertained and that the devil has attempted to make such a bargain on one and actually did make it with the other the possibility of it is not to be disputed but then i must explain the manner of it a little and bring it down nearer to our understanding that it may be more intelligible than it is for as for this selling the soul and making a bargain to give the devil possession by livery and sason on the day appointed that i cannot come into by any means no nor into the other part namely of the devil coming to claim his bargain and to demand the soul according to agreement and upon default of a fair delivery taking it away by violence case and all of which we have many historical relations pretty current among us some of which for aught i know we might have hoped had been true if we had not been sure they were false and others we had reason to fear were false because it was impossible they should be true 
the bargains of this kind according to the best accounts we have of them used to consist of two main articles according to the ordinary stipulations in all covenants namely one something to be performed on the devil's part buying two something to be performed on the man's part selling one the devil's part this was generally some poor trifle for the devil generally bought good pennyworths and oftentimes like a complete sharper agreed to give what he was not able to procure that is to say would bargain for a price he could not pay as in the case of the hereford man and the cow for example one long life this though the deluded chapman has often had folly enough to contract for the devil never had power to make good and we have a famous story how true i know not of a wretch that sold himself to the devil on condition he satan should assure him one that he should never want victuals two that he should never be a cold three that he should always come to him when he called him and four that he should let him live one and twenty years and then satan was at liberty to have him that is i suppose to take him wherever he could find him it seems the fellow's desire to be assured of twenty-one years life was chiefly that during that time he might be as wicked as he would and should yet be sure not to be hanged nay to be free from all punishment upon this foot tis said he commenced rogue and committed a great many robberies and other villainous things now it seems the devil was pretty true to his bargain in several of those things particularly that two or three times when the fellow was taken up for petty crimes and called for his old friend he came and frighted the constables so that they let the offender get away from them but at length having done some capital crime a set of constables or such like officers seized upon him who were not to be frighted with the devil in what shape soever he appeared so that they carried him off and he was committed to newgate or some other prison as effectual nor could satan with all his skill unlock his fetters much less the prison doors but he was tried convicted and executed the fellow in his extremity they say expostulated with the devil for his bargain the term of twenty-one years it seems not being expired but the devil it is said shuffled with him told him a good while he would get him out bid him have patience and stay a little and thus led him on till he came as it were within sight of the gallows that is to say within a day or two of his execution when the devil cavilled upon his bargain 
told him he agreed to let him live twenty-one years and he had not hindered him but that he did not covenant to cause him to live that time that there was a great deal of difference between doing and suffering that he was to suffer him to live and that he did but he could not make him live when he had brought himself to the gallows whether the story were true or not for you must not expect we historians should answer for the discourse between the devil and his chaps because we were not privy to the bargain i say whether it was true or not the inference is to our purpose several ways one it confirms what i have said of the knavery of the devil in his dealings and that when he is stock-jobbed with us on the best conditions he can get he very seldom performs his bargain two it confirms what i have likewise said that the devil's power is limited with this addition that he not only cannot destroy the life of man but that he cannot preserve it in short he can neither prevent or bring on our destruction i may be allowed i hope for the sake of the present discourse to suppose that the devil would have been so just to this wicked though foolish creature as to have saved him from the gallows if he could but it seems he at last acknowledged that it was not in his power nay he could not keep him from being taken and carried to prison after he was gotten into the hands of a bold fellow or two that were not to be feared with his bluster as some foolish creatures had been before and how simple how weak how unlike anything of an angelic nature was it to attempt to save the poor wretch only by little noises and sham appearances putting out the candles rushing and jostling in the dark and the like if the devil was that mighty seraph which we have heard of if he is a god of this world a prince of the air a spirit able to destroy cities and make havoc in the world if he can raise tempests and storms throw fire about the world and do wonderful things as an unchained devil no doubt could do what need all this frippery and what need he try so many ridiculous ways by the emptiness nay the silly nonsensical manner of which he shews that he is able to do no better and that his power is extinguished in a word he would certainly act otherwise if he could sed caret pedibus he wants power how weak a thing is it then for any man to expect performance from the devil if he has not power to do mischief which is his element his very nature and on many accounts is the very sum of his desires how should he have power to do good how power to deliver from danger or from death which deliverance 
would be in itself a good, and we know it is not in his nature to do good to or for any man. In a word, the devil is strangely impudent to think that any man should depend upon him for the performance of an agreement of any kind whatever, when he knows himself that he is not able, if he was honest enough, to be as good as his word. Come we next to his expecting our performance to him, though he is not so just to us, yet it seems he never fails to come and demand payment of us at the very day appointed. He was but a weak traitor in things of this nature, who, having sold his soul to the devil, so our old women's tales called a thing, and when the devil came to demand his bargain, put it off as a thing of no force, for that it was done so long ago, he thought he, the devil, had forgot it. It was a better answer, which they tell us a Lutheran divine gave the devil in the name of a poor wretch who had sold himself to the devil, and who was in a terrible fright about his coming for his bargain, as he might well be indeed, if the devil has such a power as really to come and take it by force. The story, if you can bear a serious one, is this. The man was in great horror of mind, and the family feared he would destroy himself. At length they sent for a Lutheran minister to talk with him, and who after some labor with him got out the truth, namely, that he had sold himself to the devil, and that the time was almost expired, when he expected the devil would come and fetch him away, and he was sure he would not fail, coming to the time to a minute. The minister first endeavored to convince him of the horrid crime, and to bring him to a true penitence for that part, and having, as he thought, made him a sincere penitent, he then began to encourage him, and particularly desired of him, that when the time was come, that the devil should fetch him away, he, the minister, should be in the house with him, accordingly. To make the story short, the time came, the devil came, and the minister was present when the devil came. What shape he was in, the story does not say. The man said he saw him and cried out. The minister could not see him, but the man, affirming he was in the room, the minister said aloud, In the name of the living God, Satan, what comest thou here for? The devil answered, I come for my own. The minister answered, He is not thy own for Jesus Christ has redeemed him, and in his name I charge thee to avoid and touch him not. At which, says the story, the devil gave a furious stamp, with his cloven foot, I suppose, and went away, and was never known to molest him afterward. Another story, though it be in itself a long one, I shall abridge, for your reading with the less uneasiness, as follows. A young gentleman of Blankburg, in the elector of Brandenburg's, 
now the king of Prussia's dominions, being deeply in love with a beautiful lady, but something above his fortune, and whom he could by no means bring to love him again, applied himself to an old thing called a witch for her assistance, and promised her great things if she could bring the lady to love him, or anyhow compass her, so as he might have his will of her. Nay, at last he told her he would give up his soul to her if she would answer his desire. The old hag, it seems, having had some of his money, had very honestly tried what she could do, but all to no purpose. The lady would not comply, but when he offered such a great price, she told him, she would consider farther against such a time, and so appointed him the next evening. At the time appointed he comes, and the witch made a long speech to him upon the nicety of the affair, I suppose to prepare him not to be surprised at what was to come for she supposed he was not so very desperately bent as he appeared to be. She told him it was a thing of very great difficulty. But as he had made such a great offer of selling his soul for it, she had an acquaintance in the house who was better skilled than she was in such particular things, and would treat with him farther, and she doubted not but that both together they might answer his end. The fellow, it seems, was still of the same mind, and told her he cared not what he pawned or sold, if he could but obtain the lady. Well, says the old hag, sit still a while, and with that she withdraws. By and by she comes in again with a question in her mouth. Pray, says she, do you seek this lady for a wife or for a mistress? Would you marry her, or would you only lie with her? The young man told her no, no, he did not expect she would lie with him. Therefore, he would be satisfied to marry her, but asks her the reason of the question. Why, truly, says the old hag, my reason is very weighty, for if you would have her for your wife, I doubt we can do you no service. But if you have a mind to lie with her, the person I speak of will undertake it. The man was surprised at that, only he objected that this was a transient or short felicity, and that he should perhaps have her no more. The old hag bid him not fear, but that if she once yielded to be his whore, he might have her as often as he pleased. Upon this he consents, for he was stark mad for the lady. He, having consented, she told him then he should follow her, but told him, whoever he saw, he must speak to nobody but her, till she gave him leave, and that he should not be surprised, whatever happened, for no hurt should befall him all which he agreed to, and the old woman going out, he followed her. Being upon this, led into another room, where there was but very little light, yet enough to let him see that there was no body in it but himself and the woman, 
he was desired to sit down in a chair next to a table, and the old woman, clapping the door to after her, he asked her why she shut the door, and where was the person she told him of, at which she answered, There he is, pointing to a chair at a little distance. The young gentleman, turning his head, saw a grave kind of a man sitting in an elbow-chair, though he said he could have sworn there was nobody in the chair when the old woman shut the door. However, having promised not to speak to anybody but the old woman, he said not a word. By and by, the woman, making abundance of strange gestures and motions, and mumbling over several things which he could not understand, on a sudden a large wicker chair which stood by the chimney removes to the other end of the table which he sat by, but there was no body in the chair. In about two minutes after that the chair removed, there appeared a person sitting in that too, who, the room being, as is said, almost dark, could not be so distinguished by the eye as to see his countenance. After some while, the first man and the chair he sat in moved, as if they had been one body, to the table also, and the old woman and the two men seemed to talk together, but the young man could not understand anything they said. After some time the old witch turned to the young gentleman, told him his request was granted, but not for marriage, but the lady should love and receive him. The witch then gave him a stick dipped in tar at both ends, and bid him hold it to a candle, which he did, and instead of burning like a stick, it burnt out like a torch. Then she bid him break it off in the middle, and light the other end. He did that too, and all the room seemed to be in a light flame. Then she said, Deliver one piece here, pointing to one only of the persons. So he gave the first fire-stick to the first man, or apparition. Now says she, Deliver the other here so he gave the other piece to the other apparition, at which they both rose up and spoke to him words, which he said he understood not, and could not repeat, and immediately vanished with the fire-sticks and all, leaving the room full of smoke. I do not remember that the story says anything of brimstone or the smell of it, but it says the door continued fast locked, and no body was left in the room but the young gentleman and the witch. Now the ceremony being over, he asked the witch if the business was done. She said yes. Well, but says he, have I sold my soul to the devil? Yes, says she, you have, and you gave him possession when you delivered the two fire-sticks to him. To him, says he, why, was that the devil? Yes, says the old hag, at which the young man was in a terrible fright for a while, 
but it went off again. And what's next, says he, when shall I see the lady for whose sake I have done all this? You shall know that presently, said she, and opening the door, in the next room she presents him with a most beautiful lady, but had charged him not to speak a word to her. She was exactly dressed like, and he presently knew her to be the lady he desired, upon which he flew to her, and clasped her in his arms, but that moment he had her fast, as he thought, in his arms, she vanished out of his sight. Finding himself thus disappointed, he upbraids the old woman with betraying him, and flew out with ill language at her, in a great rage. The devil often deluded him thus, after this, with shows and appearances, but still no performance. After a while, he gets an opportunity to speak with the lady herself in reality, but she was as positive in her denial as ever, and even took away all hopes of his ever obtaining her, which put him into despair, for now he thought he had given himself up to the devil for nothing, and this brought him to himself, so that he made a penitent confession of his crime to some friends, who took great care of him, and encouraged him, and at last furnished him with such an answer as put the devil into a fright when he came for the bargain. For Satan, it seems, as the story says, had the impudence to demand his agreement, notwithstanding he had failed in the performance on his part. What the answer was I do not pretend to have seen, but it seems it was something like what is mentioned above, namely, that he was in better hands, and that he durst not touch him. I have heard of another person that had actually signed a contract with the devil, and upon a fast kept by some Protestant or Christian divines, while they were praying for the poor man, the devil was obliged to come and throw the contract in at the window. But I vouch none of these stories. There may be much in them, and much use made of them, even whether exactly such in fact as they are related or no. The best use I can make of them is this. If any wicked, desperate wretches have made bargain and sale with Satan, their only way is to repent, if they know how, and that before he comes to claim them. Then batter him with his own guns, play religion against devilism, and perhaps they may drive the devil out of their reach. At least he will not come at them, which is as well. On the other hand, how many stories have we handed about of the devil's really coming with a terrible appearance at the time appointed, and powerfully, or by violence, carrying away those that have given themselves thus up to him. Nay, and sometimes a piece of the house along with them, as in the famous instance of Sudbury, anno 1662, it seems he comes with rage and fury upon such occasions, pretending he only comes to take his own, 
or as if he had leave given him to come and take his goods, as we say, where he could find them, and would strike a terror into all that should oppose him. The greatest part of the terror we are usually in upon this occasion is from a supposition that when this hell-fire contract is once made, God allows the devil to come and take the wicked creature, how and in what manner he thinks fit, as being given up to him by his own act and deed. But in my opinion, there's no divinity at all in that. For as in our law, we punish a fellow de se, or self-murderer, because, as the law suggests, he had no right to dismiss his own life, that he, being a subject of the commonwealth, the government claims the ward or custody of him, and so t'was not murder only, but robbery, and is a felony against the state, robbing the king of his liegeman, as tis justly called. So neither has any man a right to dispose of his soul, which belongs to his maker in property and in right of creation, the man, then having no right to sell, Satan has no right to buy, or at best he has made a purchase without a title, and consequently has no just claim to the possession. It is therefore a mistake to say that when any of us have been so mad to make such a pretended contract with the devil, that God gives him leave to take it as his due. Tis no such thing. The devil has bought what you had no right to sell, and therefore, as an unlawful oath is to be repented of and then broken, so your business is to repent of the crime, and then tell the devil you have better considered of it, and that you won't stand to your bargain, for you had no power to sell and if he pretends to violence after that, I am mistaken. I believe the devil knows better. It is true, our old mothers and nurses have told us other things, but they only told us what their mothers and nurses told them, and so the tale has been handed down from one generation of old women to another. But we have no vouchers for the fact other than oral tradition the credit of which, I confess, goes but a very little way with me, nor do I believe it one jot the more for all the frightful addenda which they generally join to the tale, for it never wants a great variety of that kind. Thus they tell us, the devil carried away Dr. Faustus, and took a piece of the wall of his garden along with them. Thus at Salisbury, the devil, as it is said, and publicly printed, carried away two fellows that had given themselves up to him, and carried away the roof of the house with them, and the like. All which I believe my share of. Besides, if these stories were really true, they are all against the devil's true interest. Satan must be a fool, which is indeed what I never took him to be in the main. 
this would be the way not to increase the number of desperadoes who should thus put themselves into his hand but to make himself a terror to them and this is one of the most powerful objections i have against the thing for the devil i say is no fool that must be acknowledged he knows his own game and generally plays it sure i might before i quit this point seriously reflect here upon our bon monde namely the gay part of mankind especially those of the times we live in who walk about in a composure and tranquillity inexpressible and yet as we all know must certainly have all sold themselves to the devil for the power of acting the foolishest things with the greater applause it is true to be a fool is the most pleasant life in the world if the fool has but the particular felicity which few fools want namely to think themselves wise the learned say it is the dignity and perfection of fools that they never fail trusting themselves they believe themselves sufficient and able for every thing and hence their want or waste of brains is no grievance to them but they hug themselves in the satiety of their own wit but to bring other people to have the same notion of them which they have of themselves and to have their apish and ridiculous conduct make the same impression on the minds of others as it does on their own this requires a general infatuation and must either be a judgment from heaven or a mist of hell nothing but the devil can make all the men of brains applaud a fool and can any man believe that the devil will do this for nothing no no he will be well paid for it and i know no other way they have to compound with him but this of bargain and sale tis the same thing with rakes and bullies as tis with fools and bows and this brings me to the subject of buying and selling itself and to examine what is understood by it in the world what people mean by such and such a man selling himself to the devil i know the common acceptation of it is that they make some capitulation for some indulgence in wickedness on conditions of safety and impunity which the devil promises them though as i said above he is a bite in that too for he can't perform the conditions however i say he promises boldly and they believe him and for this privilege in wickedness they consent that he shall come and fetch them for his own at such or such a time this is the state of the case in the general acceptation of it i do not say tis really so nay tis even an inconsistency in itself for one would think they need not capitulate with the devil to be so and so superlatively wicked and give him such a price for it seeing unless we have a wrong notion of him he is naturally inclined 
as well as avowedly willing to have all men be as superlatively wicked as possibly they can and must necessarily be always ready to issue out his licenses gratis as far as his authority will go in the case and therefore i do not see why the wretches that deal with him should article with him for a price but suppose for argument's sake that it is so then the next thing is some capital crime follows the contract and then the wretch is forsaken for the devil cannot protect him as he promised so he is trussed up and like coleman at the gallows he exclaims that there is no truth in devils it may be true however that under the powerful guard and protection of the devil men do sometimes go a great way in crime and that perhaps farther in these our days of boasted morals than was known among our fathers the only difference that i meet with between the sons of belial in former days and those of our ages seems to be in the devil's management not in theirs the sum of which amounts to this that satan seems to act with more cunning and they with less for in the former ages of satan's dominion he had much business upon his hands all his art and engines and engineers also were kept fully employed to wheedle allure betray and circumvent people and draw them into crimes and they found him as we may say a full employment i doubt not he was called the tempter on that very account but the case seems quite altered now the tables are turned then the devil tempted men to sin but now in short they tempt the devil men push into crimes before he pushes them they outshoot him in his own bow outrun him on his own ground and as we say of some hot spurs who ride post they whip the post-boy in a word the devil seems to have no business now but to sit still and look on this i must confess seems to intimate some secret compact between the devil and them but then it looks not as if they had contracted with the devil for leave to sin but that the devil had contracted with them that they should sin so and so up to such a degree and that without giving him the trouble of daily solicitation private management and artful screwing up their passions their affections and their most retired faculties as he was before obliged to do this also appears more agreeable to the nature of the thing and as it is a most exquisite part of satan's cunning so tis an undoubted testimony of his success if it was not so he could never bring his kingdom to such a height of absolute power as he has done this also solves several difficulties 
in the affair of the world's present way of sinning, which otherwise it would be very hard to understand, as particularly how some eminent men of quality among us, whose upper rooms are not extraordinary well furnished in other cases, yet are so very witty in their wickedness, that they gather admirers by hundreds and thousands, who, however heavy, lumpish, slow, and backward, even by nature, and in force of constitution in better things, yet in their race devilwards they are of a sudden grown nimble, light of foot, and outrun all their neighbors, fellows that are as empty of sense as beggars are of honesty, and as far from brains as a whore is of modesty, on a sudden you shall find them dip into polemics, study Michael Servetus, Socinus, and the most learned of their disciples. They shall reason against all religion as strongly as a philosopher, blaspheme with such a keenness of wit, and satirize God and eternity with such a brightness of fancy, as if the soul of a Rochester or a Hobbes was transmigrated into them. In a little length of time more they banter heaven, burlesque the trinity, and jest with every sacred thing, and all so sharp, so ready, and so terribly witty, as if they were born buffoons, and were singled out by nature to be champions for the devil. Whence can all this come? How is the change wrought? Who but the devil can inject wit in spite of natural dullness, create brains, fill empty heads, and supply the vacuities in the understanding? And will Satan do all this for nothing? No, no, he is too wise for that. I can never doubt a secret compact, if there is such a thing in nature, when I see a head where there was no head, sense in posse where there is no sense in esse, wit without brains, and sight without eyes, tis all devil work. Could G. Blank write satyrs that could neither read Latin or spell English, like old Sir William Reed, who wrote a book of optics, which when it was printed, he did not know which was the right side uppermost, and which the wrong. Could this eminent, uninformed beau turn atheist, and make wise speeches against that being which made him a fool, if the devil had not sold him some wit in exchange for that trifle of his called soul? Had he not bartered his inside with that son of the morning to have his tongue tipped with blasphemy, he that knew nothing of a god but only to swear by him could never have set up for a wit to burlesque his providence and ridicule his government of the world. But the devil, as he is god of the world, has one particular advantage and that is, that when he has work to do, he very seldom wants instruments. With this circumstance also, 
that the degeneracy of human nature supplies him, as the late King of France said of himself, when they told him what a calamity was like to befall his kingdom by the famine. Well, says the king, then I shall not want soldiers. And it was so. Want of bread supplied his army with recruits, so want of grace supplied the devil with reprobates for his work. Another reason why, I think, the devil has made more bargains of that kind we speak of in this age is because he seems to have laid by his cloven foot all his old emissaries, the tools of his trade, the engineers which he employed in his mines, such as witches, warlocks, magicians, conjurers, astrologers, and all the hellish train or rabble of human devils who did his drudgery in former days seem to be out of work. I shall give you a fuller enumeration of them in the next chapter. These, I say, seem to be laid aside, not that his work is abated, or that his business with mankind, for their delusion and destruction, is not the same, or perhaps more than ever. But the devil seems to have changed hands. The temper and genius of mankind is altered, and they are not to be taken by fright and horror, as they were then. The figures of those creatures was always dismal and horrible, and that is it which I mean by the cloven foot. But now, wit, beauty, and gay things are the sum of his craft. He manages by the soft and the smooth, the fair and the artful, the kind and the cunning, not by the frightful and terrible, the ugly and the odious. When the devil, for weighty dispatches, wanted messengers cunning and bold, he passed by the beautiful faces, and picked out the ugly and old. Of these he made warlocks and witches, to run of his errands by night, till the overwrought hag-ridden wretches were as fit as the devil to fright. But whoever has been his adviser, as his kingdom increases in growth, he now takes his measures much wiser, and traffics with beauty and youth. Disguised in the wanton and witty, he haunts both the church and the court, and sometimes he visits the city, where all the best Christians resort. Thus dressed up in full masquerade, he the bolder can range up and down, for he better can drive on his trade in any one's name than his own. End of Part 2, Chapter 8